ultimately, at the end of the day, the big thing I like to do is get people out in the field with actual customers to see and observe with their own eyes and ears. That's That to me is the, one of the most powerful, underrated secret weapons that you could have. Technology is transforming how we think, how we lead, and how we win. From InterVision, this is Status Go, the show helping IT leaders move beyond the status quo, master their craft, and propel their IT vision. It's not often you meet someone and you feel an immediate connection. A connection because you share similar backgrounds, interests, and philosophies. When I first met today's guest, we immediately began calling each other brothers from another mother because of that connection. As you know, not all relationships are that easy, that immediate. Some relationships take time. All relationships take work. I'm your host, Jeff Tun, and on this episode of Status Go, we're going to talk about relationships. And no, today's guest is not Dr. Phil. We're going to talk about the business relationships and why they are so fundamentally important to IT leaders across the globe. Today's guest is Joe Topinka, CIO, author, speaker, visionary, and coach. Joe is the author of IT Partnerships, a field guide, a fantastic resource for IT leaders who want to build a business relationship management practice from the ground up or rescue a practice that isn't delivering results. Welcome to the show, Joe. Thanks, Jeff. It's so great to be here. Thanks for having me on. I'm so looking forward to this conversation because you and I have a similar approach to running IT in that we value the relationship side of it so much. And I just love your imagery of a field guide. So take us on your journey by telling us a little bit about your career and what led you to the work that you're doing today. Well, you know, uh, I've been in IT for 40 plus years now and started out as a software engineer uh, back in the late 1970s. So that seems like uh, ancient times, <laughs> you know, where we wrote code on stone tablets, I would, I would assume. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And right before the punch cards was the stone tablet. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, and I worked my way through management, and I worked for a really innovative company back in the day. Um, it's now part of FIS, but it was um, M&I Bank, M&I Data Services, Medavante went through several different name changes, but it was owned and started by that bank, that banking organization years ago. That leadership team uh, was super innovative, and they wanted us to be more than IT professionals, so they invested in us and taught us um, some business principles, uh, sent us to a customized class at Northwestern, and we learned about product management. And so that's really when the light bulb went on for me back in the 1990s. And it made me think differently about my role as an IT professional. And so I started to manage a portfolio of uh, software products um, like you would any kind of product. And so that's where the enlightenment came from. So I started thinking about markets and value and sustainable competitive advantage and things of that nature. And that sort of shaped the way I think about my IT role and my and my role ultimately as a CIO. So I've been a CIO for 22 years in various companies of uh, varying sizes as well across many different industries, including 
uh, banking and manufacturing and retail uh, and uh, high tech. I spent uh, the last almost seven years at a company in Charlotte uh, where, where the company built home entertainment equipment, uh, embedded software, uh, invented a cloud platform, worked with the company to to really change uh, the whole game there. So I have a real diverse background, lots of fun and, and a tremendous amount of enjoyment uh, over the last 40 years. It seems like a, it went by in a blink. It, it does. It's amazing how fast it goes by, isn't it? It's just uh, amazing. It is. It is. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm still having fun. I'm, I'm coaching and mentoring now full-time for the last uh, 18 months since I retired from my last CIO gig. And it's been uh, amazing. The COVID-19, I think, has been, a, you know, a factor in creating a market that might not have been there otherwise. Uh, yeah. People are more uh, amenable to the idea of remote coaching, uh, whereas in the past, I would assume they would want you physically in their location. So that's a whole different animal now. So do you focus on coaching CIOs or any IT professional? It's leadership. Um, I'm mostly focused on leadership. I do have some non, uh, non-CIOs non in my uh, mix of customers. And I'm also coaching a couple of CEOs in a $1 billion company and some other medium-sized organizations as well. You know, I don't typically start out with the CEOs, but I found my way into into that coaching world uh, in two companies just through my normal interactions. I'm given presentations to the, the C-suite, um, and it's usually there that someone says, boy, this guy sounds like a normal person. Doesn't sound like he's speaking technical <laughs> mumbo jumbo. I can understand him. And so they, they say, wait a minute, let's. I want to talk to this guy some more. So that's what happens. Well, one of the things you and I bonded over when, when we first met was the, the conversation about building relationships with our colleagues throughout our organizations. And we even share a mutual, shall I say, disdain, maybe, maybe that's too strong, for the phrase IT and the business. Let's start there. What is business relationship management and why should our listeners care? Well, really, um, calling internal departments customers is, it's one of those watchwords that I, I look out for. And really, inside organizations, um, you know, we're, we're all colleagues and peers and collaborators, and we, we want to work together. And when I think when IT refers to itself as a service provider and it sees other business units in the company as its customers, it puts us in a uh, behind the eight ball. It, it mm-hmm. makes us feel different than everyone else. And at the end of the day, we're all, um, we all need to work together and collaborate. And companies are made up of people and people uh, form relationships. And knowing how to have those relationships to me is an incredibly important skill set to have. And unfortunately, I don't think, um, you know, at least throughout my career, very little time has been spent training and giving people the tools um, they need in order to effectively manage those relationships. So I don't know if that's your experience as well, Jeff, but it certainly seems to me that I've had to do a lot of grassroots soul searching and networking mm-hmm. to figure out, you know, a path that makes sense in that regard. I agree. It's, it's not something we really teach the IT professional. I think we expect through the great business technique of meetings for people to build relationships we don't really focus on that. So if you're talking with a CIO who is, they might be struggling to make that connection with the business. They may understand 
that see i did it there myself i said the business see it's, it's just Energy so man. ingrained in us um <laughs> they know that they need to build those relationships but they don't know where to start how do you get started in something like that uh boy great question and i think um when i look at it and its relationship with the rest of the organization uh an easy place to start is to uh, if you're a brm or you think like a brm or business relationship manager is to if you're assigned to uh, collaborate with um, supply chain resources or HR or finance or sales is to spend as much time in those areas as possible to see with your own eyes, hear with your own ears, to see what their issues and challenges are. And, you know, from that experience, um, especially as you are able to articulate back to IT, what potential issues and challenges might be there, you may come up with better solutions. Ultimately, at the end of the day, and I, you told a great story yourself about the BlackBerry on the rooftop, <laughs> where the big thing I like to do is get people out in the field with actual customers to see and observe with their own eyes and ears. That's, that, to me, is one of the most powerful, underrated secret weapons that you could have as a BRM or an IT professional in general. Armed with the knowledge of firsthand customer experience, you, you have a leg up on most people. You hear people inside organizations say, you know, I'm the voice of the customer. And you ask them, well, when's the last time you actually spent time with one? And they often say, ah, oh, uh, I don't really have, I haven't spent any time with them. And there's nothing better than seeing with your own eyes and ears because you, you get some amazing revelations. Uh, you know, the the whole sunlight thing, you know, on the BlackBerry, uh, yeah. you were telling about how you deployed those and had you not been up there in person watching someone trying to apply the BlackBerry app in the sunlight, you wouldn't have known about that issue. Similarly, I had the, the same scenario when I visited retail stores when I worked for Red Wing Shoes and we were watching, you know, customers come in looking for product. And this, this seems like so common sense. It's almost dumbfounded that we didn't think of it on our own but if there was a particular style of shoe uh, that they were looking for and, and that store was out of stock the only way for that store manager at the time to find stock in other stores was to call them or email them yeah. and of course that information being in a database we realized man we could probably write a, a query and a search tool you know overnight and deliver that functionality to the stores which we did and they thought we'd invented sliced bread um yeah. It wouldn't have happened had we not been there in person. So the, I think getting back to your question, it's it's really about observing, watching, listening in the field, either in business units directly or with external, external customers. That to me is where the secret sauce is. Well, you mentioned a, a role, business relationship manager. As CIO, how much time did you spend with your customers outside the business, seeing how they interacted with your products versus the business relationship managers. Did you rely on them or did you, was it a mix? Yeah, I actually considered myself the chief BRM. Ah. I actually spent a lot of time with external customers whenever I could. Um, anytime I was visiting a city, I would try to find a Red Wing shoe store and go visit it and talk to the manager, store owner. Some of those were um, uh, dealer-owned stores, so you'd get a perspective from them that you wouldn't necessarily from a corporately-owned store. Uh, mm -hmm. Generally not, but nothing better than actually hearing and seeing with your own eyes and ears. I, I couldn't tell you what percent of time it was, but I did it as often as I could. 
even when I was on vacation, if I were in a city and I saw a Red Wing store, I'd actually pull in and <laughs> pop in and, and talk to the store owner. <laughs> Bet your family loved that. <laughs> oh, yeah, they did. Well, I actually got a, I got Red Wing to commit. And I used to have this card that was a discount card. I can't remember the percent. It might have been 20%. Uh, and they let us give those cards out to anybody that we came into contact with that liked Red Wing shoes just to promote the brand. Now, our internal department got charged the difference between the actual uh, price of the shoe versus the 20% off, uh, which is totally fine by me. It was just a goodwill promotion. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, people loved it. And so the BRMs, I would much rather see them in a department than in, in the office around IT because then I mm -hmm. knew they were mixing it up, you know, learning, uh, observing, watching. Uh, you know, getting good information. That's where I, I wanted them all to be at least 30% of the time. What makes a good BRM or business relationship manager? You know, I, um, in the book, I actually tried to use Gallup Strengths Finder as a way to sort of, you know, at least delineate some of the important skills. I think relator, the relator skill uh, yeah. is, is huge. Uh, I think being strategic is important. One of the, my favorites is... Uh, a skill they call connectedness. It's the ability to zoom out and then zoom back in and apply what you've learned. It's it's kind of going out and visiting customers in the field and coming back and trying to apply yeah. the problems and challenges you saw to some solution. So those are the big things that I think, uh, you know, you need to be able to get along with people, understand people, and then be able to see strategically where the company uh, needs to go. Zooming out, seeing how customers view your products and services, looking for pain points and issues, coming back to the table with those problems and potential solutions is really where you can bring a lot of value uh, to an organization. Yep. In your experience, do the people that succeed in that role, do they come from within the IT department or are they coming from within the line of business departments? You know, I've seen a mixture. Uh, oftentimes, if you you know if you have a really strong business analyst who's a propensity to learn the business and understand you know how the business operates, uh, those folks can often turn into incredibly good business relationship managers. I know the business analyst function uh, and the role has sort of gone through a bit of a roller coaster ride the last. 10 years in particular with scaled agile and agile frameworks and, mm -hmm. and everybody does requirements now. But in, in truth, I think there, there are certain types of people out there that have a real knack for translating, you know, what a user is trying to accomplish into some uh, technical solution. Um, so I, I think they come from both parties, both camps. Um, and I, I think a big part of it is uh, what you have to do in those roles is sort of set aside what you know about the current technology landscape at your company and look open-mindedly at the problems and issues that are in front of you and not be boxed in by, you know, whatever solutions you have at your, at the, at the ready, you, should, you know, just being open-minded and self-reflective around what might be possible is some oftentimes leads to some incredible wins and solutions uh, for companies. That's a great skill to be able to set aside the known, if you will, and look at it with just the eyes of the possibilities. Is that a skill that you look for specifically in BRMs? Uh, is that a skill that you try to develop in the team that you're building as CIO? 
I do look for that skill and I, I look for people, um, you know, it's a bit of self-awareness too, you know, yeah, and openness uh, so that you're not necessarily boxed in and you can sort of pick that up in discussions with people if the, everything looks like a like a nail to them and all they have is a hammer uh, they'll come back to the same solutions over and over and you know that's understandable but you know i think in the role um being a brm is incredibly challenging from many perspectives um you know it's not a well understood role in most companies and even we've now i think we're in our seventh year as an institute one of the biggest challenges we face is once the programs are up and running if that principal if that person Let's say it's a CIO who brought that program into the organization decides to leave. Oftentimes, you're having to reinvent why why the role makes sense and why it's there. Um, where there has been success, the business units that have BRMs associated with them scream bloody murder if the new CIO says that we're pulling it because we don't understand the role. So it, yeah. it's interesting to to watch. Uh, we're still going through our early stage uh, learnings on how to make the role more commonplace. And I think it's less about a role, it's more about a capability. It's it's thinking yeah. about the business, thinking about end customers and pain points and holistically thinking about how you deliver results across that whole spectrum of, of uh, capabilities. I'm glad you, you mentioned that, Joe, that it's not necessarily the role, it's about the capability. Because I know some of our listeners out there are thinking, that means I've got to add more people to my team and that's going to be more budget. I just can't. They can do it with some of their existing team if they have that capability, right? They can, you know, and you always have to weigh budgets and dollars and you're always constrained. So I think teaching everyone what those skill sets are, especially those that are interested in it, those that are willing to learn and adopt those skills, it can help anyone out. Uh, and we're seeing it at the Institute. We're seeing um, HR and some finance professionals have a real high desire to learn more about those skills because they really are, they transform the role, really. Um, mm-hmm. I can certainly see the role in IT, and that's certainly what I've been writing about, and that's been my experience. Because um, in IT, we, we still are the youngest function inside companies, you know, because yeah. finance and sales, and I don't know about HR, but they've been around for thousands of years. Um, IT's yeah. only been around like 45 years or so, but as long as I've been in the business. <laughs> so we're still the young kid in the, on the block and uh, still a lot of explaining to do. But uh, it's, it's fascinating. And I think uh, it's a great time to be in IT and it's a great time to be at BRM. The, the world is changing right before our eyes. It is changing faster and faster every day. I'd love to touch on a relationship we haven't discussed yet, which is vendor relationship. How do you counsel CIOs to approach vendors and the relationships that they need to have with their vendors? Uh, another great question, Jeff. To me, that is um, an area that has changed most dramatically over the last, say, five or six years in particular. You know, I, I've talked to you about this model that I have. Uh, you know, you look at design, build, run mm-hmm. uh, in the Gartner world. You know, I've, I've sort of re, rebranded or reshaped that into a new way of thinking. I call it collaborate, integrate, and orchestrate. And those three uh, terms describe various domain attributes. Uh, in the, on the collaborate side, because there's so much as a service available now, from business solutions to cybersecurity solutions and more, you have, as a BRM or as an IT professional, more options to choose from 
in terms of solving those business challenges that you see with your own eyes and ears when you're in a business unit or you're out with customers. And the more you know about that landscape, the better off you are. And it means that those partners are more than just a service provider to you. They're actually helping fulfill strategic capabilities that you're prescribing to help solve some of the problems that may be in front of you. So that's what I mean by collaborate, uh, collaborating with partners, collaborating inside the organization as a, as a strong relationship builder. Uh, you're building those relationships with those vendors and you want those vendors to be successful because if they're not, then you know, it ultimately reflects poorly on your organization as well. And then on the I part, uh, it's integrating those platforms and it's pulling the information out. And you know, those are the, the keys that we're, we're going to spend a lot of time on in the road ahead because as more as a service platforms are available, our job in IT will be to integrate them and make them feel as though they're one platform and then pulling the relevant information out so that you can actually action against that information that's in those systems. And then the O part is orchestrate, which means you've got to first deliver on the promise you made in terms of the investment in that platform to make sure you're delivering on that value promise. And then also um, make sure that thing runs and operates. Even if you're not running it yourself, you in IT still have an obligation to make sure that vendor partner is performing. And then I would add to that, of course, um, cybersecurity operations. Coincidentally, uh, collaborate, integrate, orchestrate is what I call the new CIO. So that's my, <laughs> that's my little fun with, with acronyms today. I love the word games. And do I remember, Joe, that you are working on another book and you're going to incorporate the new CIO into that? That's right. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm writing a, a book called, uh, right now it's called Revealed, The Truth About IT. Um, <laughs> so, so, um, and I'm working on the manuscript right now. Hopefully I'll be done with that here in a couple of months. And then as you well know from your own publishing experience, uh, the heavy lifting starts when the editing starts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you, yeah, the writing's the easy part, right? <laughs> yeah. Then you got to, you know, brace yourself for impact because you're going to get feedback on your writing that you don't want to hear. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. Well, how do you talk to, uh, I, I guess for lack of a better term, I'll, I'll call them maybe an old school CIO, someone who looks upon vendors and that, that relationship as, I just got to get the lowest price I can. I'm going to beat them up over every dime, every penny. How do you convince them of the value of, especially the collaborate of your new CIO? First, I'd say it's a losing argument to say that that's not going to happen because <laughs> it is happening. And um, it's, it's more or less trying to open their eyes to the realities that we're facing. Uh, I have a picture that I show of the traditional days when I was first in IT, where you've got, if you've got platforms that you're running, all of the specialty skills that uh, are needed to manage that platform from systems administrators to project managers to application specialists and on and on, that whole stack you had on your team, you know, that was all your own folks. So as you move from that column and imagine three more columns, uh, infrastructure as a service, platform as a service and software as a service, as you move from left to right across that spectrum, you're not having to manage as many of those resources anymore because you're asking a third party to do that. Yeah. So traditional IT organizations are changing because of as a service. Uh, in my last gig, I implemented Manhattan Scale, the state-of-the-art warehouse management solution. 
And in the past, I would have had to have systems administrators load the software on servers, whether they were in AWS or Azure. I'd have, you know, application folks that were familiar with the platform and could configure it and all of that sort of thing. Uh, but in essence, we used their software as a service platform, and I basically had very little to do other than integrate some data to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they did all the configuring and managing. And we paid for that, but it was a very quick turnaround uh, from having something on-prem to placing our bet on their new cloud platform. And it worked out well. As I was talking with a group of CEOs probably a month or so ago, was using a similar chart to what you were just describing of the traditional on-premises all the way over to software as a service uh, in that stack of technology that has to be managed. And I can remember one of the CIOs when I got over to software as a service was like, oh, well, then my IT team, I don't need them anymore because somebody else is doing all that work. And I think they were forgetting about the integrate and orchestrate pieces of that. Right. Yeah. And nothing stands still. Products and services evolve. New capabilities come on the scene. There's uh, an untapped uh, amount of capability that, you know, the marketplace uh, never st- stays in one place. Uh, if it did, it'd be easy, you know? Yeah. Still, yeah. We're still riding horses, I guess. Yeah. Tying yeah. up to posts, but that never happens. And that's yeah. a good thing. Yeah. There's always an evolutionary stage and new players and new vendors, new capabilities, new solutions coming on the scene. Well, one of the other things that we talked about last week that I want to touch on is the coolest name for a law that I've ever heard, which is dude's law. It conjures up images of Jeff Bridges and and that whole thing. But what is dude's law and why is it important to IT? Well, dude's law is not my own invention, but it's something that I've been sharing with people. Uh, There is a gentleman that I knew for many years uh, by the name of David Hussman, who unfortunately passed away three or four years ago, uh, unfortunately, from a rare form of, of cancer. But he was an agile expert. He hated being called an agile expert. Uh, and uh, he and I would meet periodically every couple of weeks and just shoot the breeze around product and agile and its, and its evolution. And he came up, he was also, uh, he looked like the Big Lebowski. So he had real long hair, <laughs> big guy, and everybody was a dude. And uh, he also was a, uh, an electrical engineer. So he loved Ohm's Law. And so he he used Ohm's Law and he re, repurposed it. And he said, you know, I, I've been thinking a lot about this. People are um, so enamored with a methodology, whether it's agile or even waterfall. And it occurred to him that he said that value is equal to why you do something divided by how you do it. And if you spend all your time on how and forget about why value goes down, and so that's when the light bulb went on for me. It's like, wow, we've been in this holy war about waterfall versus agile, now scaled agile. Yeah, those are all execution techniques. Um, but most importantly, keep your eye on why you're doing what you're doing. Where's the value? How's it helping customers? How's it helping the company? Um, spend more time there than you do on the methodology. It always comes back to why, doesn't it? It, it you, does. You've got to understand your why. Joe, as we talked about status go, one of the things that we like to emphasize is that we want to leave our listeners with some actions that they can go take that will help them in their career, help them with the delivery of the projects that are in front of them. What are one or two things that our listeners should 
go do tomorrow because they listened to our conversation today? Well, there's two things I'd say to do. Number one is I'd get out and visit external customers. If, and if you can't do that, spend some time in a business unit. Uh, go, go spend some time in the supply chain or sales. Go out on a, sale, uh, a ride-along with the sales team. You learn so much from that, uh, that whole experience. That's the first thing I would do. And the second thing I'd recommend is, besides reading your books and my books, <laughs> uh, <laughs> is I would find a mentor. Because it's it's this is a, a marketplace in an age where there's so much change. Uh, I, I call it COVID accelerated change. Uh, things are happening so quickly, and you know it's tough to go it alone. And I, I I'd really advise people find a mentor to bounce ideas off of um, and tap into that person's network. It's partly what's helped me in my career. Not partly. It's in a big way. It's helped me push through a lot of challenging times when I knew I had a network I could tap into and, hey, have you yeah. seen this or have you done that or I've got this challenge or that that challenge? What what paths might you take? One of my uh, all-time favorite coaches is a, a woman by the name of Cy Wakeman. Uh, I just had a conversation with her yesterday, as a matter of fact, and she's a, a, a New York Times bestselling author and she was just named the number one leadership guru in the world. So she's, she's quite a remarkable oh. woman and a remarkable yeah. person. I won't say woman in this day of diversity and inclusion. She's, she's just a remarkable person. And um, we were talking about one of her favorite topics, which is um, personal accountability. And it's got four components. It's committing yourself hundred percent to something. It's being resilient, um, meaning expect changes or, or, or roadblocks or, or curveballs and still succeed anyway. And then owning the results and learning. So commitment, resilience, ownership, and learning. And and what we were talking about is we took that one level deeper. And you know, and it occurred to me, in order to have resilience, you've got to plan for it. You got to think about what might happen and how how will I position myself for resilience. And so I, I would just ask people to think about that for a moment as you as you go into your workplace when you're committing yourself to something and expecting problems. Uh, plan for those problems. Uh, try to do that ahead of time if you can. So it's it's a simple mindset shift, but it's very powerful. Yeah, yeah. The, the last thing I'd, I'd leave you with too is, uh, you know, this the whole mentoring and coaching. Just to tap into that one more time, I I always talk to people about the difference between, say, a professional athlete and us as professionals in our craft. Professional athletes have coaches. They have weight training and strength coaching and uh, coaches in general. And here in, in our in our professional lives, it's rare that you see coaches, you know, in, in that context, come into the, the framework. And I, I really do think it's um, a healthy thing for people to go explore, folks, uh, especially those of us who are have been down that road and, and um, have gained a lot of experience like yourself and myself. I definitely think there's a, a real opportunity for folks to network and find that confidant, that coach that you can rely on to help you on your journey through life. So I would, I would advise that people take a look at that. I think it can be a game changer. I know when I engaged uh, an executive coach for the first time, gosh, 2012 or 2013, just changed my career incredibly to be able to have that outside person to be able to bounce ideas off of. So I, I love your suggestions and your recommendations for action. Get out and visit the customers. Don't rely on someone else being that voice of customer, see it for yourself. Get a mentor, be a mentor. 
because I think that's valuable as well. Plan for resiliency and build your resiliency. I think that was a great insight as well, Joe. And then coaching, engage with a coach and use that to help your career. So, Joe, I think those are fantastic pieces of advice for our audience, uh, ones that they can go out and do tomorrow. Once again, I've enjoyed our conversation. I am sure this will not be the last time that we have these conversations, whether they're recorded or not. Uh, who knows? But I've enjoyed every one of them, Joe. So thank you so much for being with us today. Absolutely. My pleasure. And you're absolutely right. This won't be our last conversation. Yep. For our listeners, if you have a question or want to know more, go to intervision.com. We'll have show notes. We'll provide links and contact information. We'll certainly provide a link to Joe's book about IT relationships. Uh, And when his new one comes out, we'll add a link for that as well. This is Jeff Tun for Joe Topinka. Thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to the Status Go podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes or get more information at intervision.com. If you'd like to contribute to the conversation, find Intervision on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. Thank you for listening. Until next time.